Vision Sunday. Uh, you remember Matt saying that one of our goals for this year, our primary goal is to live out our mission statement. So the mission statement is just a short description to explain our, our purpose and to express what it is that we do. You'll find that mission statement in several places around here. It's on the back of your bulletin this morning. It's on signs we have posted around the church. And you know, probably a lot of us still don't know exactly what our mission statement is. It's simply this, worshiping Jesus, sharing life, living on mission. It's just seven words, but these seven words are essential to explaining to ourselves and to others just what we're striving to do as a church. This is so important that we're going to do something a little different for the next three weeks. If you're here with us on a consistent basis, you know that uh, we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. You know, we just finished going through the, the small book of Jonah. Before that, we spent eight months in the book of Acts. Beginning in March, after Matt's going to be taking us through the Old Testament book of Ruth. So for the next three weeks, we thought it would be a good idea to preach through the three different aspects of our mission statement. Our goal in doing this is so that everyone here will not only know what our mission statement is, but more importantly will understand how you, as a member of this local body, what your purpose would be in fulfilling that. So today we start with the first of our three-week series, and we're going to focus on just three words. Worshiping Jesus. But this will be a little different type of message than we hear most Sundays because of what we're trying to do. So let's look at what we'll be covering during our time together this morning. We'll spend the first part of our time looking at our text, Psalm 95, to learn about who it is that we should worship. And then we'll have a lot of application on the back end to explain how we as a church worship Jesus. Well, first we need to know exactly what worship is. How do we define worship? Worship can be defined as valuing or treasuring someone or something above all others. But that's a, a general definition. And we are all worshiping someone or something. It's just a matter of, of who or what we are worshiping. That's just as true of non-Christians as it is of followers of Christ. But here's the definition that we're going to use for worship this morning. And it comes from John Piper. True worship is valuing or treasuring God above all others. While worshiping itself comes natural to us, we all do it. Worshiping Jesus at times does not. We were just singing the old hymn, I love it, come thou fast. One of the lines in there explains um, our situation perfectly when it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I, that I love. Because even as born-again believers, 
We still have a sin nature within us, and it, we, it causes us to feel the pull to turn from worshiping Jesus to worshiping other people and things instead of the one true God. And these can even be good things. It can be gifts that he has given us. It can be children. It can be our job. It can be sports teams. It can be material goods that he's given us. It's, it's in the, the cars that we drive or the homes that we live in. These can all be objects of our worship. So let's look at Psalm 95 this morning to see the one who truly deserves our worship. Begin reading with me in, in verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We'll get more into how we worship Jesus in, in a few minutes. But let's stop and look here at the things that we are being asked to do. Twice in the first two verses, we, we were invited to sing to the Lord. Twice we were also instructed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And when we come, we're told to, to come into His presence with thanksgiving. We're coming to this King to give thanks through our singing. We're, we're to worship Him in song. And according to our text, it's actually okay to be loud when we're doing that. It says make a joyful noise to Him in song. The Christian Standard Bible translates as to shout triumphantly to Him. The New King James Version has it as shout joyfully. We should sing to the Lord with Him if we're going to do these things here, it, it helps to know just whom it is that we are to sing and to make a joyful noise to. We see that beginning in, in verse 1. We're to sing songs of praise to the rock of our salvation. That's an interesting way to put it. When we think of the word rock, you know, we probably think of something that is stable. It's secure. It's, it's unmovable. And that's an accurate way to, to look at it. Because Jesus is the foundation on which our hope of salvation is based. We're to come into his presence with thanksgiving because he is the rock of our salvation. It's just like the old hymn that we sing. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Well, that alone would be enough reason to, to come before him in song. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. Look with me in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Notice when the psalmist writes above all gods, the word gods isn't capitalized simply because there are no other true gods. There are only counterfeit gods of our own making. There is only one great God and King. And I love how the psalmist describes it here in verses 4 and 5. It says in verse 4, In his hand 
are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. When I, when I read this, it's, it's almost like the psalmist is saying, let me tell you just how great this true God and King is. In his hand are the depths of the earth. So notice he doesn't say in his hands. You've probably heard the song and even sung it growing up. He's got the whole world in his hands. Psalmist says he has the very depths of the earth in his hand. One hand. But he doesn't stop there. He says the mountains are his also. The sea is his too, for he made it. And not only that, he formed the dry land as well. So it's a picture with me, a hand holding a globe. And that's a pretty good example of what we're talking about here. That's the God that we worship. <laughs> Consider what he's saying here. I mean, it's one thing to read it, but visualize with me what he is saying. Because of where we live, um, we, most of us are blessed. We've been able to see both the ocean and the mountains. Think about when you've been at the mountains. And maybe you pull off on an overlook off the parkway, and you stop, and you just gaze out for as far as you can see. And all you see is this incredible, majestic view that's really indescribable. He created it. If you know me very well, or not even well at all, you know this. You know that I like the beach about as much as I like vegetables. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, beach, hot, sticky, sandy, sunburn, it's just not my thing. <laughs> but I'll be the first to tell you, for say the first five minutes when I'm there, I'm in awe. I look out at the ocean, and as far as I can see, there's nothing but water. I got curious about this. I actually looked it up. All the oceans on the earth combined make up more than 140 million miles. First five says it's his. He created it. So we worship Jesus because he is the creator. Colossians 1.16 says this about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let's continue on and pick up in verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. After telling us in the first two verses to, to worship Jesus with a, a joyful noise to him in song, the psalmist adds three more verbs here that tell us what we should do when we worship. Each of these three verbs carry with it the idea of getting low before God. The word that we see here for, for scripture, I mean in scripture, for worship, it means to prostrate oneself, to, to humbly lay down before him. 
We are called to, to worship, to bow down, to kneel before this God. And here in this verse, the psalmist is also making sure that even though we're supposed to come and we're to be joyful and maybe even loud, we're also to come before him with reverence. Because we are worshiping the one true God. And then it's to give us one more reason to worship him. Look at what the psalmist says here in verse 7. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. The rock of our salvation. The great God and king of, of all gods. The creator of all there is. Is also our shepherd. <coughs> And not just any shepherd. He is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus says this very thing. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He continues in verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Church, we worship Jesus not only because he created us. We worship him because he loves us. And he cares for us. To the point that he gave his own life in exchange for ours. So that we might live. Not only that, nothing or no one will ever take us from him. If he is our shepherd and we are his sheep, our eternity is secure. Not because of anything that we've ever done, but because of what he's done for us. And we worship Jesus because of it. The psalm takes a dramatic turn in verse 7 at the end of that. We're not going to spend a lot of time here uh, because of what we're trying to do this morning, but it does provide a very important warning that I think we need to heed. Beginning at the end of verse 7, we read the following words. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In these last five verses, the psalmist makes it very clear to us that there is more to worship than gathering together on Sunday morning and singing songs of Jesus. Worship also includes hearing God speak through His Word and then obeying Amen. Because church without obedience, there is no worship. Our text says this morning, today if you hear His voice, do not pardon your hearts. And then He gives us an example of this from the book of Exodus. There we find the Israelites had just been delivered from slavery in Egypt and they're traveling toward the promised land of Canaan. 
They'd seen all the miracles that, that God had done for them. All the ways that He had provided for them. But along the way, in both Meribah and, and Massa, they tested God and they quarreled about their circumstances. Triple Longman, in his commentary, puts it this way they were sheep who did not trust their shepherd. Jesus addresses this very thing in Matthew 15, verses 8 through 9, where he says, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Listen, obey, and worship. The psalm has shown us what worship looks like. It's shown us who we are to worship and, and, and why. And let's spend the rest of our time together looking at how we as a church worship Jesus. How do we fulfill the first part of our mission statement? And as we look at the different ways that, that we worship on, in our Sunday morning service, I want to encourage you to take the time to examine how you personally worship in any of these areas. First, we, we worship Jesus together. Why should we take time out in the middle of our weekend to come together with our church family? Because God's Word instructs us to. The classic text for this is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, where we read, Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of the book of Hebrews Inspired by the Spirit of God tells us plainly that it is God's will that those who are followers of Christ are not to make a habit of not meeting together for worship with their church family. He tells us that's a bad habit to have. It's not good for us. And in the same passage, we're told that one of the reasons we worship together at the church is to encourage one another. This is hard to do if we're not together. We see also in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, shortly after Jesus has returned to heaven, his followers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now that Jesus was no longer with them physically, they needed to be with each other all the more. I'll be honest with you this morning. Although there may be days when, for whatever reason, I don't want to be here with my church family, I definitely need to be here. If I fail to worship with you together, my relationship with Jesus will suffer. My faith has never increased by being apart from the body of God. And I feel confident that that's just as true for you as it is for me. So we here at Papa Spring, we worship Jesus together. Number two, we, we worship Jesus 
through the preaching of His Word. Everything we do here in our services centers around the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God, so profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. We worship Jesus through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, taking every effort to make the gospel of Jesus known wherever it shows itself. And that's not hard. The entire Bible is about Him. From the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, we, we see the signs of Jesus all the way to the very end. Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, the last verse in the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Everything in between is about Him. All throughout the Old Testament, we see symbols of Jesus. We see prophecies of His coming. We see the promises of the salvation that He would bring. And then we see His arrival in the New Testament. Everything that was written about Him in the Old Testament comes to fruition in the New Testament. We see the Bible is all about Him and the basis for all that we do. If we desire to worship Jesus, we must know the one whom we desire to worship. And the only way we can do that is through what He has done us in Scripture. So we worship Jesus through the preaching and teaching of His Word. Third, we worship Jesus in singing. Now this is probably one that everybody thinks of. When we think of worship, when we, we think of singing, that is certainly a part of it. Colossians 3.16 tells us, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We even saw that in Psalm 95. It said, Sing to the Lord and make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. We worship Jesus by singing during our Sunday morning services, not only because we're, we're commanded to, but because He delights in it. Church, He wouldn't ask us to do it if He didn't want to hear it. If He didn't enjoy it. And, and church, understand, it's not the quality of your voice that He enjoys. It's the joy in your heart when you're singing. We also need to mention that singing in and of itself does not equal worship. Yeah. Even if we're singing with emotion while we're doing it. No confession. I guess it's confession time this morning. If I'm not careful, I can sing every song that comes up on the screen without ever considering the words of the song or considering the words of whom I'm supposed to be singing to. If I'm not careful, I can easily just go through the motions. Church, I want to encourage you this morning. When we sing, pay attention to, to, to what we are singing and who we are singing to. Jesus commands us to, to sing to Him in worship. He delights in it. He takes joy in hearing it. And so we worship Jesus in song. Or we worship Jesus in prayer. We spend a lot of time throughout the service seeking the face of God in prayer. How important is prayer to Jesus? 
get a pretty good idea of it in Matthew 21, in verse 13, when Jesus says this very thing, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So we see the, the importance of it to Jesus. When we pray as a church, we primarily pray to, to God the Father through the power of God the Spirit in the name of God Jesus, God the Son. And one of the reasons we address most of our prayers to God the Father is what we see in Matthew 6. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, how do we pray? And Jesus gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's really a model prayer. And Jesus taught them to begin by saying, our Father in heaven. So we might ask the question, how do we worship Jesus if we begin by praying to God the Father? It's a good question. Have you ever thought about when we pray, we usually close something along the lines of, in Jesus' name. Well, when we pray that way, we are acknowledging that our only access to God the Father comes through the work of Jesus. Who in 1 Timothy 2.5 says, is the one mediator between God and man. Because of Jesus, we can now come before the King of Kings. And we get to do that anytime, no appointment required, all because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. So when we pray, we worship Jesus by acknowledging that very fact. We gain interest into the throne of grace only by Jesus. And so we worship Him in prayer. Number five, we worship Jesus in giving. This isn't an easy one to talk about. Probably not an easy one to hear about. But it's necessary because giving is an indication of what we truly worship. Amen. It's often been said, and I believe it's true. If you want to know how who people really worship, just look at how they use their time and how they use their money. Look, look at their calendar or look at their checkbook. And for the most part, that's a pretty good indication of what we are worshiping. Of what is of most importance to us. Our giving is so important that they were even told how to do that in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, where it says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up as he may prosper. Well, here the Apostle Paul gives us instruction on how we are to give. It says we are to give weekly on the first day of every week. Paul says we are to plan what we give. We are to put something aside. It says that, that we are to give proportionally. Stored up as you may prosper. Church, there are going to be times when we can give less than there will be times when we can give more. The question we need to ask is, are we giving sacrificially? Not out of our abundance, when we don't even notice it, but to the blood of sacrifice. 
where it costs us something. Because that's when it becomes worship, whatever that amount may be. <coughs> Paul not only gives us instruction on how we are to worship Jesus in giving, but it tells us what our heart should be when we give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. Why should we be cheerful when we're giving of our money to, to Jesus? Not because our giving um, will get us anything, but we give because of what we have already been given. David Platt puts it this way. When we give, we're not obligated by guilt. We are overwhelmed by grace. We give because we're blown away that Jesus, God the Son, would willingly leave heaven, that He would come to this earth, and He would die as a sacrifice for our sins. So we give to Jesus, and we do so cheerfully. Amen. Number six, we worship Jesus through the Lord's Supper. We worship Jesus when we take communion together as a church family. We do this monthly. We find our instruction for this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, when Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas, told his disciples that when they ate of the bread, to remember his body that was broken for them. He tells them when they drank from the cup to remember his blood that was shed for them. Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper for the same reason. To remember what He has done for us. It's, church is not simply eating the bread or drinking the juice. There's nothing magical at all about that. But we worship Jesus when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we remember what He has done for us so that we might live. Amen. Seventh, we worship Jesus through baptism. Amen. While baptism does not save anyone from their sins, and that only comes from turning from our sins and putting our faith in Jesus alone to save us, baptism is a visual picture <coughs> That someone's sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. And that we're, we're united with Him in His death and His resurrection. But baptism is an outward expression of an inward change that someone has decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus is honored in worship when we do that and we publicly show our allegiance to Him. So we worship Jesus in baptism. Now, all of these things, all of these ways that we worship Jesus corporately when we meet to get together on the Lord's day is good and is right. Our entire service is meant to be worshiped to Jesus. But there's one more way that we worship Him. Lastly, we worship Jesus with all our life. 
What, what do I mean by that? As followers of Jesus, we don't just come to worship Him corporately on Sunday mornings with our church family. Instead, we are meant to worship Jesus even when we're away from each other. Scripture bears this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to all to the glory of God. Amen. Church, all of life is meant to be worship. The Apostle Paul, after spending the, the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans explaining the gospel of Christ, tells us what our reaction, our response should be beginning in chapter 12. In verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our very lives are meant to be lived to the glory of God. It's an act of worship. Church family worshiping Jesus together on Sundays is not meant to be a substitute for worshiping Jesus every day of our life. A.W. Tozer put it this way If you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship Him on one day. He says, There is no such thing known if in heaven as Sunday worship unless it is accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship the soul. All of life is meant to be worshiping Jesus. How do we do that? By the words that we say, the things that we do, the thoughts that we think. When these things are pleasing to the Lord, we are worshiping Jesus. When we stop and think about worshiping Jesus with all of our life, with all that we are, with all that we do, we may think that's a lot to ask for. That's a pretty tall order. Sunday morning? Okay, I can get behind that. With all my life? Is that what really expected of us? The answer is yes. But it's not too much to ask when we consider who it is we're living our life of worship for. Not only for the rock of our salvation, not only for the great God and King, for our Creator, for our Shepherd, but also for our Savior. As I was preparing this message, a song that I remember learning as a child, I was still singing a song, kept coming to my mind, and I've been singing it all week. It's a song entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It was written in 1707 by Isaac Watts. And in that song, Watts paints a picture with words of both the sorrow and the love that God has for us when he was hanging on the cross up until his death. The last verse in that song goes like this. 
for the whole realm of nature mind, that would be a present far too smart. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So we end where we begin this morning. My question to each of our families simply this. Are you doing in worship Jesus? Specifically, how are you doing in worshiping Jesus corporately with your brothers and sisters in Christ on the Lord's Day? But also, how are you doing to worship Jesus with all of your life? Because the worship him will as far as love. My daily prayer this, this week is that you would not come away from this message discouraged because you're not worshiping Jesus uh, perfectly. Church, understand that everyone struggles in worshiping Jesus on this side of heaven. My prayer has been that you'll come away from this message amazed at Jesus. Because don't, don't miss this. The beauty of Christianity is that our salvation it is not dependent on our living a perfect, sinless life or worshiping Jesus perfectly. If that was the case, none of us would have any hope at all. But we have hope because the creator of this world and all that is in it, the rock of our salvation that we studied in Psalm 95, came to this earth, died to death, that we deserve to die so that we may have life with Him for all eternity. If we're turning from our sins and repentance and putting our faith in Christ alone to save us, we have the promise that one day we will worship Him perfectly. We will worship Him forever. And when we consider that, it should give us every reason to, to worship Him to the best of our ability today and every day. After our pray, Mike is going to come and he's going to lead us. I want to encourage you to spend some time considering how you are doing personally in worshiping Jesus. The first part of our mission statement. The altar will be open if you want to come and pray or worship here. You can do it right where you're standing or where you're sitting. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, understand that you are still worshiping someone or something. And that person or that thing will ultimately fail to satisfy you because that person or thing was created itself. And can go in a second. If you'd like to know more about this Jesus that we worship, I would love to talk to you after the service. Michael would love to talk to you after the service. So you too can know the Lord. We pray with you.